previously on Killing Lorenzo. He got out of the car and we shook hands and I said, right, well, call me later. And that was about 10 o'clock. And um, I left. And that was the last I saw him. Georgetown 911, where is your emergency? Hello? I kept trying to call him, kept trying to call him. He never answered the phone. Uh, There's like um, a few times somebody had, somebody was picking up the phone and hanging it up. I kept calling um, him and kept calling Sarah um, that Monday morning because I would heard from Lorenzo and that was very unusual for me, you know, especially when he done gave me instructions on what's going to happen, you know. So, you know, then finally, I think about noon that Monday, Cheryl just said, Mike G, don't even worry about it. He ain't coming back. Just, he good. I talked to my child twice, three, twice to three, four times a week, every week. That's why I knew something was not right. He answered my calls. Ain't nobody seen him. He was fine. And he's fine now. And I can't, I'm, I'm not going to believe anything other than that he's fine now. I just need somebody to call if they've seen him. I already knew. That's not, my son is not going to call me. I knew. I told them both this. We are fine. It's not gonna be good. I knew. He never, never, not answer my call. Never. Hello. Don't have nothing but gunshots. I'm Zanetta Lowe, and I'm April Thompson. This is Killing Lorenzen. Love basketball murder part two of episode six 10 days wednesday july 28th 10 days after lorenzen disappeared word came officers found something in southeast memphis connected to the case we started sending crews to the area a massive crowd gathered as word spread that lorenzen wright's body was found in a wooded area off of hacks cross road wednesday the number of investigators grew as the police brought in a mobile command post. Lorenzen's mom will never forget that day. Where were you when you got the call that something had developed? Uh, I was at the laundromat. Lorenzen had bought me this comforter, and, and I, he's, oh, my, I didn't have a front loader then. So I took to the laundromat to put it in the front loader, and Dennis McNeil came to the laundromat. He called me, asked me what was that, and I told him. Then he said, I'll be over there in a minute. I was like, okay. Then he called me back. He said, no, Deb, i tell you what. I'm going to come to the laundromat. We're going to go over hurry pops. I said, okay. Dennis McNeil is a Memphis police officer. He was also a security officer for the Grizzlies when Lorenzen played for the team. We left from there because he told me he said, they found Ren. I said, where? And he told me where it was. I was like, oh, shit, that's our shortcut because I used to go that way, you know, to their house from my house because ain't no lights in there. We can fly fast through that shortcut. And he told me that's where they found Then Deborah started getting other calls. Penn Hardaway and Tisha, uh, Debo White, they was the one called me and told me that's where his body was. They were like, what? Uh, I'm asking, I got one phone, I got two phones. I got one phone in this hand, one phone. on the phone said, Dad, we over here with Ren. Tish on the phone. Girl, why you not over here? I'm like, where you at, Tish? Girl, why we over here with Ren? Who you with, with Penny and Jimmy? I said, girl, I got Penny on the phone now. I'll call you back. And I, and I just started talking to Penny. Penny Hardaway played at the University of Memphis two years ahead of Lorenzen, but they also knew each other through the high school basketball and AAU circuits. Penny was at the scene when he called Deborah. Here's what he told WREG News Channel 3 that July day in 2010 as he waited for word on what happened to Lorenzen Wright. When the report started, 
uh, that he was missing and he didn't come out and say, hey, I'm okay, then that's when I started to get worried. Penny is now head coach of the men's basketball team at the University of Memphis. We recently caught up with him at an AAU tournament. He told us why he had to go see where Lorenzen's body was found. I think it was a shock uh, more so than anything because I didn't want to believe, you know, what had, what had happened. And I went to the scene because it just kind of drew me there. It was by my home and I just wanted to see, you know, if, if it were true because it, it, it seemed odd that he was missing, you know, for that many days. As Penny stood and waited near where Lorenzen was found that July day in 2010, Deborah was taken to Herb's house. It became a staging point for the family, and family was already reacting, including Deborah's nephew, Trevino, known as Jig. But I told them that night when we went off to Herb's house, I said, when you see Jig with my nephew, because my nephew said he, he live in Alabama, he said, ain't he, as soon as I pull up, I'm blowing that bitch brains out. I said, Dennis, listen to this, Jig coming, he's going to kill Cheryl tonight. So when you see Jig, grab him and get that gun out of his waist in the back, because he's going to blow her brains out tonight. And I said, you know he ain't playing. The family was dealing with their grief over the realization Lorenzen was gone and also dealing with their outrage and suspicions. Shara had something to do with it. Trevino said it was devastating. And I'll never forget, the sister called me. She was like, gee, they found him. I was like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Where you at? They like, she was like, gee, gone, he's gone. I was like, what? I went to the front, my sister was asleep. And she said, gee, what? She looked at me. She just started crying. Trevino's mom, Zetty, Lorenzen's aunt, was at work in Atlanta when she got the news. I'm like my son. When, when my niece called me at my job, everybody at my job knew that I, we were looking for my nephew. Because literally everybody I hung with in Georgia, every last one of them been to my nephew's house. And when that girl, my niece called me at my job, and said my, tap, same girl to call him, called me and said, said my brother, hey, Said they killed my brother. That's what you say. Me personally, I hit the floor at my job. And all the people, I was just screaming, screaming, crying, screaming, crying. And everybody just kept saying, go get, my best friend worked there too. Go get Nikki, because she know him too. Go get Nikki, go get Nikki. And Nikki knew when she heard me, she knew what was wrong. She was like, I was like, they was like, go get Nikki, go get Nikki. So we, got, we, 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 we cried for weeks and weeks and weeks, all of us. Shara and the kids also went over to Herb's house the night Lorenzen's body was found. Everyone gathered to process the tragic end. What was their reaction when they came over to Herb's that night after the, that the body hit? The kids was like, looking like they were actually really, really scared, but Shara was acting like she was crying. I was like, bitch, please. Like I told Herb, you better not let her come so I can heal very well because I'm going to whoop that ass up in him. That night you were that, thinking that? Huh. That night. I, I'm talking about, I'm standing there holding my preacher hand. To her, you better keep that bitch away from me. You better keep that hole in my preacher hand. You better keep that bitch away from me. That's all I had to tell you. You better keep that bitch away from me. Me and Pastor Taylor were standing right there holding hands. And what was Shara saying? Crying, acting like she crying. Many in Lorenzen's family already had their fingers pointed at Shara. Lorenzen's friend Phil remembers getting the call from police officer Dennis McNeil. And Dennis called me. I was at work, and uh, he called me Wednesday, I think it was like Wednesday afternoon, and he said, he said, Phil, I got bad news. I'm like, what's up, what's up, D, what's going on? And of course, you know, Dennis was, you know, Memphis Police Department, he was 
Lorenzo security when he was with the Grizzlies at, you know, and so that we had a we have a relationship because Dennis was with us all the time, and uh you know, being assigned to Lorenzo, and so he said Phil is not good. And I'm like I said wait 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 what do you mean it's not good? He said it's not good. We found him. I said what do you mean you found him? He said Phil he's dead. And I and I just remember. I was quiet for a second. He said, Phil, Phil. I'm like, what do you mean he's dead? He's like, Phil, he was killed. And they found him in a field. And I remember dropping the phone and I remember crying. Back in Atlanta, Mike Gibson got the shocking news first from Lorenzen's dad, then his mother. Oh, man, it was, we all were just crying, you know, to a whole nother level. When they both called me. And then um, Deb's sister, Zet, because she lives out here, she drove over there to me, you know, because she knew what, what type of shock I was going to be in, you know. So she came over to me. It was just something else, feeling that I've never felt and never want to experience again. Painful. I mean, I lost my best friend, you know. It's like, to me, it's like losing a brother, somebody, you know, I grew up with my whole life, you know. So for me to lose somebody like that, it was just so so overwhelming. You know, it's like losing a parent. It was just—it was too much for me to handle at that time. You know, I couldn't see Lorenzen. I couldn't see him dying. But Lorenzen was gone. By the time Deborah arrived at the spot Lorenzen was found, there was no holding her back. Cameras caught video that's become etched in people's minds when it comes to the Lorenzen Wright case. It shows Deborah in green pants and a red top, running as fast as she could to get to the place where her firstborn son was found dead running for answers, disregarding the crime scene tape. You see the image of Deborah running down that, that gravel road, running to where the, they found his body. And you know, I can just remember everybody over there just in disbelief and shock and can't believe in what, what has happened. Lorenzen Wright's mother runs toward investigators, trying to learn more. Everybody remembers that picture of you that you trying to get past that tape. Yes. And if I had had on my gym shoe, that police woman, like I told her, baby, if I had had on my gym shoe, your ass would have been twirling one way and your pistol would have gone low because I would have chest bust your ass so hard to get to my car. See, I wanted to walk in his last footstep so I could feel, you know, pick up some. Maybe now he could tell me exactly who I was with, Cheryl. You know, that's what I want. That's, that's the only reason. I didn't want to go down there for a say to see him. I just wanted to walk his last walk. Maybe he could put something in me to get the police. That's what I wanted to do. But what was in that field was everyone's worst nightmare. Slowly, the details confirmed. It was indeed Lorenzen Wright, found dead in the remote woods. Dozens of Memphians and Lorenzen's fans gathered at the scene too. Man, I can't believe it. When I got the call, I mean, my mom, she called me, I broke down crying. Man, I really, I couldn't even take it. Man, I really couldn't. It's devastating. They want to believe it, you know, you know, even though people said they had found his body, I was just hurt that they had found his body, and then somebody told me that. And then I, I had to come see it for myself. It's almost like I just want to see it for myself. Eventually, an autopsy report would reveal how Lorenzen died. The 12-page report released Wednesday by the Shelby County Medical Examiner details Wright's injuries. It says he died from multiple gunshot wounds, two to the head, two to the chest, and one to the forearm. Even worse was the condition of Lorenzen's body after lying in scorching July heat for
for 10 days. The report also says Wright's body was badly decomposed and that Wright's 611 frame had deteriorated to just 57 pounds. That's right. The remains of the once 611, 255-pound NBA center weighed just 57 pounds. So much of his body gone, he had to be identified by dental records. Lorenzen was still wearing pants with a belt, shirt, underwear, and shoes when he was found. He also had on a necklace with two tags and a white metal watch. The autopsy says one bullet entered at the left base of his skull and exited on the right. The cause of death? multiple gunshot wounds, the manner of death, homicide. For the NBA star's loved ones, the details were gruesome. Serious, and how they did them though. That would hurt me the most. If my thing is, if you gonna do something to my cousin, I don't even, you can get somebody to call or anything. Y'all see him shot this man. It was an overkill. To me, to be honest with you, you shot him in his hand, he got hit in his arm. The second shot killed him. Just like a, an animal, it's like you killing a person, but it just leave him out there to rot to death. My baby got And that was my heart. Because he did anything he could do for his grandmama. Anything. And daddy, I miss him. When he left, it was like a piece of me left. The word was quickly spreading that Lorenzen was gone. A city was left in shock. Sports columnist Jeff Calkin says it was an unexpected blow to Memphis. And you don't expect someone in the prime of their life, maybe no longer the prime of his athletic life, um, to be gone um, and, and, and like that. I mean, I remember going out the day that they found his body and standing standing there behind the police line and just with a sort of hit like and and other players would show up um other players would come out to the site and with this sort of sense of disbelief they didn't expect it to end like that antonio harris played ball with lorenzen during his years at booker t washington high school the now btw coach remembers the shock of learning Lorenzen was dead. Do you remember when um, you found out that um, he was missing? Had you heard? How did you hear about that? The news, to be honest. I was watching the news, and uh, and when I found out that it was actually him, it, it threw me for a loop. And I was like, wow. And the only thing I can recall is just seeing his mother run down that road, and that really kind of sent chills down my body to see one of my brothers had uh got murdered so that was right there that was sad that was a sad moment for for Memphis for the Memphis community as a whole Glenn Carver was WREG sports director at the time I'll just never forget when word came that they found him found his body is just I mean you could just this depressed sigh from the city you you really just felt it you know and then again at that point everybody's now talking about it and uh it was just very somber no one no one i ever remember hearing anyone say well you know maybe people just hanging around with him. maybe it was just i cannot believe he's dead while the public was shocked police were puzzled crime scene officers along with homicide detectives also returned to the scene for a second day 
In the heat, they combed the wooded area looking for clues. Lorenzen had been lying in that field for 10 days. 10 days worth of clues gone. 10 days that suspects could make a clean getaway. You know, it was a cold case from the time you got it. Former Memphis Police Director Tony Armstrong was serving as Deputy Police Director when Lorenzen's missing persons case became a murder case. You know, it was, it was a case that was like, okay, now we have to start working backwards, and we started working backwards with nowhere to go. You know, there was, there was, we, we didn't know who saw him last, uh, other than his wife. You know, uh, how long had he been in Memphis? Everything was working backwards with, no, with not a lot of, of concrete answers. There was a lot of theories. There were a lot of maybes and maybe this or if or whatever, but there was not a lot of concrete evidence. Armstrong spent years working in homicide at the Memphis Police Department. His department was regularly featured on the TV show First 48, highlighting the critical first 48 hours in any murder investigation. If you can de develop a suspect within the first 48 hours of a, of a homicide, the likelihood of, of solving it, that, that crime, um, you know, goes up significantly. So when you talk about a, a crime like this one, when you find it, what we talk about, six days, uh, six or seven days after, after he was reported missing. Look at all of the time that has passed. So if you look, six days later, it was very, very difficult to do that. It was very difficult to say who did he come in contact with that wasn't in um, his regular routine of people. Uh, and we could not determine that. And police were also at a disadvantage because of a big flaw in their communications. The debacle ensued when Lorenzen Wright first made that desperate call for help. Georgetown 911, where is your emergency? No. That call was made from Lorenzen's cell phone shortly after midnight, July 19th. Germantown 911 answered. Hello? I have nothing but gunshots. The 911 operator tells someone she only hears gunshots. The person on the other end couldn't tell her who or where he was. The call was coming from a location that bordered on the city of Memphis and the city of Germantown, a Memphis suburb. Lorenzen had been reported missing in Carrierville. Hello? I don't have nothing but gunshots. He called while he was being murdered. But instead of alerting others about the call and following up, Germantown dispatchers disregarded it. They kept quiet for day one, two, three, four, five. And Lorenzen still lying in a remote field in the heat of the summer, his body quickly decomposing. Well, it was a, it was a, it was shocking, you know. And so when I actually heard it, I'm like, my God, you know, you hear someone getting shot. Why does it take you? what, eight days, nine days later to, to respond to it. But someone didn't do their job, you know. July 28th, 9 a.m., 10 days after that 911 call for help. Officers from Memphis, Germantown, and Carrierville held a meeting to go over the missing persons case involving Lorenzen Wright. It seems that 911 call was finally mentioned. And technology was used to quickly track the cell phone call to callous cutoff a street that connected Germantown's Hacks Crossroad to Memphis's Germantown Road, and it quickly led to a gruesome finding. By 2 o'clock p.m., search dogs found the body of Lorenzen Wright. Three different agencies, a perfect storm, 
that left plenty of questions. So was it a breakdown in communications? Were police trying to protect information that could jeopardize the case? We tracked down Collierville's police chief. The Memphis Police Department has asked us to let them give out any information regarding this case. It's not so much case, Thank it's you. just on Tuesday, the town is still saying there's no sign of foul play, when now we know there was a 911 call made with gunshots. You need to check with the Memphis Police Department. Well, people around here say either they were lied to or your department dropped the ball in the investigation. You need to call the Memphis Police Department. Thank when you. When did you guys become aware of the call? We'll tell you more about the fallout from that unanswered 911 call a little bit later and the lawsuit that followed. But the fallout left police at a standstill on solving the murder case. Here's how then Memphis Police Director Larry Godwin described it. I wish I could tell you that uh, uh, you know, we, we were going in a direction that uh, we hope to bring closure real soon. But all I can tell you is um, they're just continuing their effort, uh, trying to develop, put this puzzle together. Uh, has not been easy. But Lorenzen's family and his city were dealing with an unimaginable grief, and now they had to plan a funeral. A favorite son tragically taken from his family, his fans, and his city. Lorenzen Wright was gone, and now those who loved him were left to find a suitable tribute to his legacy. Once again, the crowd came to see Lorenzen Wright at the FedEx Forum, but this time in place of a goal, was a casket. Lorenzen Wright's funeral was held at FedEx Forum, the place he once played and a place big enough to handle the huge crowd that came to say goodbye. You remember the event um, at the Forum uh, Memorial Forum, and it affected everybody, and it affected um, even the other franchises, Atlanta and L.A., the Clippers they played for. I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, no one could believe it. They just could not believe it, One, you know, refused to believe it. And, uh, I mean, it's just the city, the city cried, you know, for days. It was just really emotional. What hurt most of Lorenzen's family was the fact that they couldn't have an open casket. His body was too decomposed. Instead, the silver-gray casket was closed with a huge yellow, green, and red flower spray draped over it. More flowers surrounded the casket, and just above it, a poster-sized photo of a smiling Lorenzen wearing his NBA uniform. The funeral program also had a photo of Lorenzen right on the front, his hair braided. He has on a black-and-white pinstripe suit, and once again, that trademark smile. It was an emotional procession as Wright's family filed past it. Leading the group, Herb Wright, Lorenzen's father. Remember, we spoke with Herb Wright about his son and his rise to NBA fame. But Herb, who shaped Lorenzen for his son's pro career, didn't want to talk about Lorenzen's funeral or anything that happened after he disappeared. He cut our interview off at that point. Everything after that was a little, was a blur. I don't, I don't like talking about that at all. But at the funeral, it was Herb in his wheelchair who led the family followed by Deborah in a white coat dress. Shara and her six children were dressed in all black. Each child wearing a different team hat from their father's 13-year NBA career. A large crowd packed the lower level of the forum, surrounding the stage set up with flowers and chairs for the numerous speakers. Among them, then-Memphis Mayor A.C. Wharton. We are working night and day not to see that things are done quickly, 
not to rush, but to see that things are done right and that justice will be done. The funeral was full of accolades for the NBA player, focusing not just on his skills on the court, but the work he did in the community and with youth. This is former Grizzlies owner Michael Heisley speaking at the funeral. The smile that he had was so infectious. I mean, it just uh, lightened your spirit. And that was the impression I have even to this day of that first meeting. Lorenzen's six children who were on the program decided not to speak after all but instead let Lorenzen's younger brother, Dominique Wright, speak. I know that y'all think that he just died, but keep doing right. You're going to go up to heaven and we're going to see him again. But despite the tributes, there was also plenty of drama going on in the midst of the morning. Many still suspected Shara had something to do with Lorenzen's murder, including his mother. You see, when I walked up to Lorenzen's cast, you know what I went up there for? To ask Shara why now. But when my mama kept my mama said, Dale, don't say that, just don't say that, just don't say that. She know what I was finna say right there in front of everybody. God damn, Shara, why now? My mama said, Dale, don't say that. Also, y'all just don't know. I wanted, this first time I ever really wanted to fight my mama. Because I wanted to bust Shara out in front of everybody at the funeral. Because that's what my son would have wanted. Put her on front street. She want to be bad. She want to be a five-minute movie star. Put her out there. Let them see her. Lorenzen's aunt says she couldn't stomach it. Damn, my nephew funeral, I walked up to my his daddy's yard. That girl came out of that house with this fake cry on her. My arms were straight down beside me like this. She wrapped her arms around me, and I said, Bitch, this is my exact words. Bitch, get it together and get your fucking hands off me. Because my stomach instantly started to hurt. And that's that same feeling my nephew had. That was one of my first signs that this heifer did this to my nephew. Cause when she touched me, I, my stomach started hurting. Told you she, I, she was holding me and I was, she was trying to put her arms around me and a fake cry. I told you when she touched me, my stomach started hurting. I said, bitch, get it together and get your hands off me. Get your fucking hands off me. And I, I actually, I don't think I talked to Cheryl since that day, since that day. Since that very time right there. Reverend Bill Atkins, who often counseled Lorenzen and Shara when they were married, spoke at the funeral. He remembers what Shara said to him afterwards. I did the eulogy. I eulogized him. She came and hugged me after, thanked me for the wonderful eulogy. That hurts to this day. That hurts to this day. Lorenzen's grandmother, Louise Vassar, also had her eyes on Shara. Then I know Shirley and all that damn black she came in there on. All this black. All this man cursing her and everything. Oh, you all saw this man urging Shirley out. All this black. I said, ain't this a blip? She got nerve enough to come to his funeral. Lorenzen's friends served as pallbearers. I remember the, the day of the funeral and being a being a pallbearer, and I can remember, man, this casket is really light. Hmm. What nothing in it. And I just, you know, I can remember, it was, you know, during that whole time period, I just remember being in a fog almost. I remember, you know, being in the back of the 
FedEx Forum, and you know, all of us are back there. We got our black suits, white shirts, red ties, and everybody's you know speechless. And we're just sitting there looking at the casket, hmm. and then we we pick it up, and I'm like, man, it's light. I remember going through the processional and and uh, I remember the song playing he saw the best in me mm-hmm. and I remember hearing that song and just you know trying to find trying to make sense out of everything that that had happened and you know not knowing how he was you know why somebody would do such a thing to him why somebody would shoot him and leave him in the field like a like a like a dog like worse than a dog like how could you do a human being like that how could you do and then, how could you do my best friend like that who had no enemies great guy why would somebody do that I, it it just it never made sense who would do that to Lorenzo when i tell you everybody loved him everybody loved that and he didn't have one enemy. He didn't have one enemy. And it just it just made no it made no sense. Michael Gibson couldn't make sense of it either. He says Lorenzen's funeral was hard. Just to see my friend, you know, being at his funeral, which is something that I, again I never thought would happen. I mean it was overwhelming. The only thing that really kept me down at the end was just you know, just seeing his kids and then seeing my kids, I just kept those fond memories of me during that whole ceremony, you know. And I had my two kids right there with me at the time, so. You had to hold on to that. Yeah. Deborah Marion says a lot of people helped with the cost of the funeral, including the Grizzlies and some former Tiger and NBA players. But Lorenzen Wright's mom had even more on her mind. I didn't have the grieving part because I ain't have time to grieve because I want her ass locked up so tough. Others were getting suspicious too. I called her because I wanted to know what happened. I would always call her. I called her and she told me that, you know, previously, maybe a month or so ago, somebody, some three guys that came to her house, you know, in trench coats or whatever, with guns, looking for Lorenzen. You know, and threaten her. You know, you're gonna give them up. We're gonna get you or whatnot. That's what she kept. She told me. She told me that. And then she tried to tell me what happened the night. She said, "Well, Lorenzo left with this guy, and then he he went and got some money somewhere and got a gun and left. You know. So she just kept trying to tell me that same story again. I just couldn't see that happening. You know, um, Lorenzo is the type that always have to be around his friends are people that he trusts, right? So for him to leave that house and to go out and do some type of deal that she was claiming, unheard of, unless he's with somebody he trusts, me, you know, Phil, somebody that he knows very, very well to do anything like that as far as getting a gun and money leaving. He's not going to do that alone. Lorenzen don't roll like that, you know? So I thought that was all a lie. I knew it was all a lie. You know, I just... Couldn't figure out why she would tell me that, you know. And then why would she say later on a box of drugs? What is a box of drugs, you know? <laughs> I just couldn't. I knew that was a lie. Coleman Garrett was one of Shara's attorneys at the time. He talked to us in his office not long after Lorenzen's body was found. The audio is a little difficult to understand. I think uh, most of the people in Memphis think that my client is 
as a suspect in this case, notwithstanding what is being reported uh, about what had the policeman on. This is just kind of natural to think that under the circumstances because she is the wife or she's the ex-wife and this comes right on the heels of a divorce and he was a popular big time star and so forth and so on. It's a storybook kind of whodunit situation that she would obviously be a person of interest. Within weeks of his murder, social media posts were also pointing blame at Shara. For the last 24 hours, social networking sites claim to know the truth. Tweets like, just heard this rumor, Lorenzen Wright's ex-wife confessed to having him murdered. And Facebook status updates saying, she did it, we all know she did. Watch the news tonight, bye bye Shara. But Shara was going nowhere. She was still living in her Collierville home, the one where Lorenzen was last seen. However, she wasn't talking about what happened anymore, at least not yet. But another one of Shara's attorneys had plenty to say about the blame placed on Shara. It's sad. Uh, it's almost like people want to find a cause, and so she's right at hand to blame. But some of Shara's statements and actions left many people puzzled, one in particular. Shara's Carrieville neighbor reported she was burning something in her backyard fire pit on a hot July night around the same time Lorenzen was killed. What are you burning in the backyard at 3 a.m.? Yeah. Who's coming to see you in July in Memphis, Tennessee, wearing trench coats? Is what she told the police. Who in their right mind is going to have on a coat in Memphis, Tennessee in July? It just, it just never made sense. And none of it made sense. And Lorenzen's Aunt Zetty had her ideas about why Shara wanted Lorenzen gone. He's worth more dead than alive. And for Lorenzen Wright's mother, Deborah, that was the beginning of her new mission. In my mind, I got to get this bitch. I can't stop. I can't get sick. I can't even afford to die right now. Uh-uh. I got to get this bitch. Uh-uh. It was never not on my mind getting her. That was, that's the only thing I want. On the next episode of Killing Lorenzen. I said, bro. Sure has something to do with him being killed because of what they found to me. She told Carryville police Lorenzen Wright left her home carrying a box of drugs. I knew that was a lie. That was the second murder. They murdered him twice. They physically killed him, then they assassinated his character. Only thing I had time to do, call the police, go to the police department, call the police, go to the That's the only thing my whole life represents. I think if I were to ask long enough, they'll do something, they, you know, shut me up. I'm not one that likes to lose, and I don't matter what it is, I don't like to lose, and, and I don't plan on losing this. I had a great team, and if, it's, if it can be solved, I'll solve it. We met Shara Wright at her attorney's office. She said it was time to talk. Did you have anything to do with Lorenzo's murder? No, April. No. If I knew who did this to Lorenza, you would know who did this to Lorenza. Killing Lorenza, Love, Basketball, Murder is a production of WREG in Memphis. It is reported and hosted by us, Zanetta Lowe and April Thompson. Our editor is Josh Strong. Original music, Lorenzen's Theme, by Boo Mitchell and Uriah Mitchell of Royal Studios, Memphis, Tennessee. Cover art by Corinne Zeta. David Royer is in charge of Web and Social. Eric Lipford handles our file research. And thanks to our colleagues Alex Coleman, Caleb Hilliard, and Sean Scott for their assistance. Jessica Davis is our intern. And none of this would be possible without the support of our assistant news director, Sarah Van Arnhem, and our news director, Bruce Moore. While you're here, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate, and share it.